After something like that, you really probably do think, you know what, he only works one hour a week. <laughs> hey, you guys uh, see the front page of uh, the paper this morning? Anybody see it? Take a look at the screen. <sighs> Just for your entertainment pleasure, I hope you had fun. Uh, well, hey, happy Easter to everyone. We're so glad that you're here today. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, we're just so excited um, that you chose to uh, be with us. And uh, aren't these ladders cool? Did uh, you get your ladders completed? If you did, kind of hold it up as a sign of, whoa, look at that, okay? If you don't have it done yet, keep working on it because we're going to talk about it uh, a little bit later. But uh, yeah, that's really, really cool there. And uh, what I want to do, I want to begin by giving you a little bit of trivia about ladders. And uh, let's just uh, begin with this question. Uh, when do you think the first ladder was invented? Um, give your answer to the person beside you. Let them know how smart you are, okay? When was the first letter, ladder uh, invented? Okay, now if uh, you said, I have no clue, uh, you're the right answer. Um, the reality is we don't really know uh, when ladders were created, um, but we do know that there is a picture of a ladder in a cave in Valencia, Spain, um, that, uh, or was it Italy? Now I'm nervous. No, it was Spain. Uh, Valencia, Spain, uh, that was uh, 10,000 years old. And it basically has two guys uh, carrying a ladder. Now, uh, what was ladders originally used for? Anybody remember? Warfare. Warfare. Uh, unfortunately, what would happen is they would take these ladders, they would throw them uh, up against the wall, and when they got ready to climb the wall, they would storm the city or the castle um, by using the ladder to get over the wall uh, to get within there. Now, in what century uh, did love-smitten men um, take ladders and put them up to the second story of love-smitten women? Anyone want to take a guess? What century? 16th? That's a good try. Actually, it was just when dads put their daughters on the second floor. Uh, that's when that happened. Um, any of you know uh, what the uh, tallest ladder in the world is? It's, a, it's 105 feet. And uh, there are only about five of them. They're all in the U.S. and they're used uh, for fire departments. And um, how many of us fall off ladders each year? A half a million people. Okay? Do you know when uh, that happens the most? Right after Thanksgiving up to Christmas, right? And why would that be? Because we're all putting our Christmas lights up, right? And uh, just a couple of more. What is the legal limit on the back side uh, that you can have a ladder on the back of your car? Anybody know how many feet? Four feet. Four feet, and you have to have one of those little red handkerchiefs on the back. And uh, anyone know what it is off the side of your car? Well, let me tell you how I learned Fourteen years ago, uh, Jennifer and I moved here to Muncie, and uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to paint the house, and so I need an extension ladder. 
And uh, I decided, well, I got a buddy in Anderson, and I'll go over there. I'll get the ladder from him. And her cousin actually said, hey, I got a pickup truck. And I was like, nah, my car will work, no problem. And so I went and uh, drove over to Anderson. And when I got ready to try to put it in my car, it would not fit, like, through the front of the seat in the back. So I had this great idea that I'd just put it on, you know, in the side. Well, I knew I should have probably stopped at the beginning, but I am a man. And um, so I pulled back, and I got ready to leave, and I noticed that I almost was hitting some of the mailboxes on the other side of the road. So I thought, well, I'll just, you know, move into the middle of the road, and, you know, I won't hit them, and that seemed fine. And uh, then I got on I-69. I didn't say I was a smart man, okay? I just said I was a man. I got on I-69 and I started uh, going down the road. Now I was in the right-hand lane, in the slow lane, only going about 55, when all of a sudden I heard, BAM! You know those yellow posts that are on the side? All of a sudden, all of a sudden the ladder started pinging every one of them down. So I just kind of scooted over a little bit, you know, and figured cars, if they were going that fast, they could get around me. And uh, I keep riding down the road and pretty soon... Uh, I see these red lights behind me. And uh, when I got ready to pull over, the only problem was, you know, to pull over, you got to get closer to those yellow posts again. And so, bam, 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 you know, like three of them just went down. And uh, the state police officer comes up and he goes, now, you know why I'm pulling you over, right? <laughs> and like a good Christian, you know, I said, no, you know, I had no idea. And he said, well, there were some truck drivers that got on the CB and they went to our state police post and they said, hey, there's some guy out there who has a ladder off the side and he's hitting the yellow delineation post. And he said, the officer said, well, you know, I have no idea what the law is off the side of a vehicle, but off the back it's only four feet. And he said, I've got to go back to my car and try to figure it out. So he goes back to his car, he figures it out, he comes back up and he gets out this tape measure And he starts it at my ladder, and there'll be a picture that uh, I think comes up there. And he pulls it out like that all the way to the end, and he goes, you're 10 feet off the side of your car. The legal limit is 6 inches. (laughs) And so he said, well, uh, yeah, you're you're over 9 feet 6 inches. And I said, but I had a red handkerchief, you know, at the end. And he laughed as he wrote the ticket all the way through. Then he told me to throw the ladder. I said, well, I I can keep taking it to Muncie. He goes, no, 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 no. And I had to throw the ladder off and come back and get it with a pickup truck. And $120 later, you know how much one of those big ladders cost? At that point, $75. I could have bought a ladder, you know what I mean? Uh, But it was a great story for us to share today. Well, this is what I've learned about Americans. We love ladders. In fact, um, Americans have more ladders than any other group of people. We just have tons of them. And uh, we like to climb ladders. Uh, We like to maybe put them out car windows. Um, And this whole concept of ladders, um, we're just filled with. In fact, it kind of flows into our vocabulary. People will often say things like this. Um, wow, that person is climbing up the corporate ladder of success. Yeah. 
Or, uh, you know, we're always told when you get a job, you need to climb as high as you can up the ladder and just keep on climbing. And there's just no doubt about it that as Americans, we love to climb. We love to climb. In fact, we have climbing contests. We send more people to the peak mountains uh, to climb those than any other country in the world. And we love to climb. We're the ones who actually invented the climbing wall. And we have climbing stores. And uh, we just enjoy that. Um, simply put, we are a nation of climbers. And so it comes to no surprise that when we come to the topic of faith and of the spiritual life, that when people who are Americans begin to start talking about uh, both of these things, they go, I'm going to get real serious about my spiritual life. If I'm going to get real serious about my faith, it's just within our DNA that we think to ourselves, we need to start climbing. I've got to climb. And you probably realize that as you begin to start climbing up the ladder, that you've got to get rid of some of that moral junk and maybe some little bit less of loose living. And, uh, you know, I won't party as much. I'm just going to have to deal with the fact that I've got to climb up if I'm going to have a relationship with God. And so what happens is people will begin and they'll go to one of the rungs and they'll say, well, I'll just become more compassionate. And then they go up the next rung and they'll go, well, I'll just love people a little bit more. And they'll say, well, well I'll go to church or, or you know, I'll read my Bible. But we start doing these good things so that we can eventually get up to God, to a relational God. Thinking that somehow if we just climb up high enough that God will look at our climbing and He'll say, Good! I'm so glad that you're climbing so well. It's good. But the only problem is, folks, that this type of thinking does not work in the spiritual life. In fact, it doesn't work at all. And so the question that you have to ask of yourself, and the big Easter question this morning is this. Will you try to climb up the ladder to God or will you lay your ladder down before God? My uh, uncle on my dad's side, uh, he was quite a character. In fact... Uh, he's a pretty tough guy growing up. You know, there's a lot of those uh, uh, television spots now about bullies. Like, he would have probably been one of those kids. I mean, he went to the military. He served in Germany. He was just a tough, tough guy. He was married once, only once. And uh, the reality is my uncle was not marriage material, you know. I mean, he just, he just wasn't that way. And uh, he, he lived life a, be, a lot better being a loner or uh, being a bachelor. And uh, he liked to go to bars. He liked to play golf. He liked to party and have fun. He liked to uh, fish and hunt. He was a proud carrying member of the NRA. I mean, he had like tons of guns uh, in his house. And he was always very, very nice and loving to our family. But he was the kind of guy that you would just never want to cross. 
And uh, I think we got a picture of him there. And um, in fact, true story, one night a couple of guys broke into his house when he lived in Marion, and he took one of those igloo water coolers and he beat them up. In fact, he broke one of their arms and then he pinned both of them against the wall. And some of you don't even know what a rotary phone is. But he took it and he called 911 and he held them there and then he said, you're lucky that I didn't kill you. And they were. But about his mid-40s, he uh, came down with diabetes and all of a sudden his life just kind of changed. Stopped drinking beer, stopped smoking, Uh, He just really changed his life. And when he got to his mid-50s, he had worked at Dana Corporation for over 25 years, and he thought, you know what, I'm going to retire. And so he moved to Florida, and uh, he began a life down there. And this big, tough guy, all of a sudden, became a part of the Audubon Society. You know what the Audubon Society is? It's a bird-watching group. This big, tough guy now was watching birds, and he'd go down to the state park, and he would uh, teach uh, the kids about the different birds. And uh, that was his life, and he loved Elian Springs, and he loved the park, and he loved being able to kind of reach out uh, to uh, little kids. However, his whole life, folks, God was not really on the radar. Even though he had read the Bible cover to cover uh, twice, He was an avid reader. He's kind of a weird dude. You would be if you're a bachelor and loner. He would read the dictionary. Like literally, read all the words in the dictionary. And uh, he called himself agnostic in which he didn't really believe in God, but he wasn't sure there wasn't a God either. He He just wasn't sure. But he was a good person. A really, really good person. And that mattered to him. And a couple of years after that, he had a stroke and uh, a heart attack, and all of a sudden he was paralyzed on one side of his body, and he just wasn't able to uh, move. And while he was at physical therapy, I decided that I would fly down, because I was the executor of his estate, and we did a lot of the business kind of stuff, and so I flew down just to hang out with him and be with him. And one particular day, I was with him the whole day, and we... Uh, you know, did his therapy, we had lunch together, and we finally got to supper, and we were talking about sports. He was a Cubs fan. I'm a Pirates fan, okay, which is even worse. And we would go back and forth, and we talked politics, and finally we got to the topic of religion. And uh, just like the several times before when I would talk to him, um, he let me know that he was agnostic, even though, you know, I was the pastor. And I said, I understand that. And so I asked him, I just said, well, Uncle Phil, do you believe in life after this life? And he said, well, absolutely. And I said, well, do you believe like in a preferred life versus a not so preferred life? And he says, well, what do you mean? Like heaven and hell? And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I believe in heaven and hell. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, do you think that everybody should be able to go to the preferred place? And he said, no. That'd be stupid. I mean, you can't have a whole bunch of murderers and child molesters and Democrats 
Okay, he didn't really say that, but he was a staunch Republican. And he would have said that if he would have thought about it. But he said, there's no way that everyone, you know, there's no way that everyone can get to the preferred place. That's ridiculous. And so I just turned to him and I said, well, are you going to the preferred place? And he just gave me one of those PO'd looks of kind of like, you better stop there, preacher boy. You know, don't go that way. And then he said this. He said, hey, I'm a good person. He said, I'm a lot better than a lot of other people. I mean, I go by that Christian thing, you know, the golden rule that you talk about. Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. I'm that kind of person. And he said, uh, I think I'm doing pretty good. And if your God is so good, Chris, then I think he'll look at me and he'll say, you're all right. And so I started talking about this whole ladder kind of concept with him. And I just said, well, Uncle Phil, um, you know, I know you're agnostic. You don't believe in God, but you're not saying there isn't a God. You just don't know. But what, I, what I'm wondering, just for argument's sake, let's say that there is a God, because I believe there is a God, and let's say that He is perfect, and He is righteous, and He is always good. I said, well, how good do you have to be for God to accept you? And I kind of said, where would you put yourself on the ladder? And he just did not talk to me. And I said, well, you know some good people. I said, who is the best person you know? The person who has the most goodness in their life. And without batting an eye, he said, well, I think it's your dad. And I said, oh, uh, John Bunch, huh? He said, yeah. And I said, I agree. I said, I believe too that he is a really good person. He's given his life to God. He's brought people to God. He's served the poor. He's done everything. But Uncle Phil, I lived with him for 18 years. (laughs) I could tell you stories about him in which he is not that good. He's not as good as you think he is. And I said, so, you know, let's let's just kind of put him... Maybe right here on this ladder. And he would tell you that he is far from God. And without God, he would not even be close. He, he has been mean and nasty to people. He's had bad thoughts about people. He, that's just the way he is. He couldn't do that. And I said, well, Uncle Phil, I mean, I don't want to say anything, but I mean, I love my dad. He's a good guy. But there's a lot other people that are a lot better than he is. I mean, good people, you know? And I said... Um, Well, what do you think about Mother Teresa? And he said, yeah, I think you're right. Mother Teresa, that would be like a really good person. I said, absolutely. I said, you know, I've I've read some of her books. And she's one of the most righteous, good, loving people that I know. And uh, she saved thousands of lives through all of her healing stuff that she's done in Calcutta. And uh, he goes, yeah. He said, I've read a couple things too. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, she, she is really amazing. And I said, but you know, I've read some of her books too that she's actually said that she is so far from God that all of her good works could never get her quite up to a relationship with God. 
She's talked about how she's uh, had bad thoughts about people. How she, uh, you know, uh, would be impatient with her superiors. And uh, I think she would say, Uncle Phil, and she was still alive at that time, I, I think if she were here, she would say, oh no, she's far from God. But you're right, Uncle Phil, she's a little bit further than John Bunch. Okay, actually, she's a lot further. Than John Bunch. Okay, you got to keep a space there. Okay. And Uncle Phil was just kind of looking at all of this, and I said, "Well," I said, "He said, well, what about you?" I said, "What about me?" I said, "Where are you at on the ladder?" And I, with everything within me, I wanted to say, "I think I'm probably above my dad," you know. But I said, "You know," I said, "I've done a lot of good things too." I mean, uh, we help, you know, start the jar, and we're, we're a church that tries to reach out to people, and we serve the poor, and, you know, every week we try to help pay for utility bills and different things of folks in the church trying to care for their needs. But I want you to know, Uncle Phil, that I, I am way far away from God, and I'm way far away from Mother Teresa, and to be quite honest, I think I'm a lot lower than uh, even where... My dad is. And uh, so he kind of looked at the ladder and I said, well, um, you know, where do you think you're at? And um, he didn't answer me. In fact, he gave me one of those looks, kind of like he was going to you know, put me up against the wall like the two burglars, you know. And so I realized that we were at a point where the conversation needed to stop. And so I just stopped. And I didn't go any further. And um, everything just ended. And folks, all of us, including myself and Mother Teresa and my dad, and you could name any person that you want... All of us fall well short of where God is at. In fact, when I showed this to my uncle, uh, he didn't say where he was, but he said this. He said, I guess I'm screwed. It was a little bit more colorful, but I cleaned it up for you, okay? And that's the reality, folks, for all of us. Mother Teresa has fallen so far short. My dad has fallen so far short. Uh, myself, I've fallen so short that we are all screwed, as he said. We've fallen so short that we just could not ever climb up enough to get to God. We just, we're just, we're not able to do that. And what the differences between biblical Christianity and every other world religion is that when God kind of established this whole morality ladder, He sees that we've fallen short. In fact, the Bible actually says this, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us. 
Mother Teresa, John Bunch, Chris Bunch. I mean, some of you might be north of my dad, you know, and so you can put yourself there, but we know that none of you are close to Mother Teresa, okay? But wherever you put yourself at, you know, you just, you fall short. But biblical Christianity says that God was up at the top and He said, you don't have to climb. He said, I'll actually climb down through the person of Jesus Christ and I will meet you at your greatest need. And that's biblical Christianity, folks. And there's nothing else like it in the entire world. In fact, Philippians uh, 2 says this, Jesus Christ, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God Himself to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. In other words, God and Jesus were in heaven, and God said, Jesus, it's time for you to go down the ladder to My people. Taking the very nature of a servant, being in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. In other words, he walked down the ladder and he went to a cross because he is amazingly in love with you. Now, I just want to talk real briefly about a huge kind of theological concept uh, that if you get this today, you're going to be good for quite some time. And when you leave today, you'll know a little something about ladders and you'll know a little something about Jesus Christ and what He did by coming down the ladder for you. So here's the theological concept. It's called substitutionary atonement. Let's all say that together, okay? I can see some of you are like, oh man. On three. One, two, three. Substitutionary atonement. Now don't let that word freak you out, okay? Because I'm going to explain it to you. Uh, About a month ago, all of us were glued to our televisions because there was a college basketball team called Butler Bulldogs who just rocked our world. And they had a Cinderella story last year, and they got all the way to the end of the ball, but they lost. And this year they get all the way again, and we're so excited. And the thing that's so cool about Butler is the fact that they are a real sense of a team. And their bench, you know, is so confident when they go in there. And so whether a person fouls out, whether they get exhausted, whether they get overwhelmed, or they just need to kind of create some energy... Um, what happens within that moment is Brad Stevens isn't afraid to take one of the guys off the bench and put them into the game. And we call that person a what? A substitute. Now, when you're uh, caught speeding and uh, maybe, you know, not you, but the person beside you gets caught speeding, okay? And And you have a hundred bucks, you know, that you have to pay for this ticket and you go down to the police station or the courtyard, and uh, you have this speeding crime, you have to satisfy the demands of justice. Justice says, pay the fine. So you take your hundred bucks, and you go down to uh, wherever it's at to give your speeding ticket so that you have atoned 
for your crime. Now hang on here for a second. When we're at the bottom of this ladder, and we think of our flub-ups, mess-ups, and screw-ups in this thing called life, and all of our sins are kind of stacked up at the bottom of this, what we often think is, I can just climb my way out of this. But you can't. And so Jesus meets you where you're at, and He says, this is what I'll do. I'll take your place. I'll take the sins of your life, and I'll put them on my shoulders. And I will substitutionarily atone for your sin. Simply put, Jesus says this, I will pay your fine. Jesus pays your fine. I read a story this week about a college president who, uh, after graduation, invited a whole bunch of the uh, different, uh, you know, muckety-mucks to his house. Uh, Those people who were trustees of the college and, uh, you know, big-time donors. And he also invited two of kind of the best students. And uh, he brought them all in. And... uh, he had a couple of students stand up and tell their story. And two of them said that they weren't going to use their hard-earned degree right after college, but they were going to go to a third world and they were going to serve the under-resourced. And they were going to do this for the next five years. And they're telling this story and they're saying, this is what God told us to do. So after the party was over, they noticed that there was a guy in the back of the room and he walks around, he comes all the way up to the college president and these two young women that were there, and he just said, I was so impressed of hearing that you were going to, you know, not use your college-earned degree right now and that you are actually going to be willing to go and serve the poor. And they said, well, this is just something that God whispered for us to do. And so the guy looks at one of the girls and he says, well, how much do you owe? I mean, did you have to take out any college loans? And he said, yeah. She said, yeah, I did. I had to take out 80 grand. And the guy said, all right. And so he looked to the other girl and he said, well, how about you? Did you have to take out any college loans? And she said, yeah. She goes, mine's about $100,000. And so the guy looks at uh, both of them. And he looks at the college president and he said, if the three of you will go down uh, to the, you know, loan office on Monday, I've been so touched and so moved by this, I will pay off their entire debt. I will pay the price for their debt. And he substitutionarily atoned for their debt. And what do you think those two girls felt like when they left from that place and they were fully forgiven of all of the debt from college. There was just freedom, I'm sure. And folks, the reason why Christ followers all the time become these slobbering people every time they hear amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, is because all of us realize that we were way down here at the bottom of the barrel of the bottom of the ladder when it came to our moral indebtedness. 
And Jesus Christ came down the ladder and substitutionarily atoned. He became our substitute and he paid the price so that we could have life with him. Jesus came down the ladder. Now we've talked about ladders and we've talked about the cross, but what about the resurrection? Because that's what today's about, being risen. You know, throughout the history of the world, there have been a lot of Messiah wannabes. People who say, I know the way to get into a relationship with God. Or maybe they'll say, I'm God themselves. I can show you how to do that. And the reality is, every single one of them who've ever tried to do that, they've died and they've stayed dead. Only one ever rose from the dead and 500 people saw him. And he did that because he loved you so much and he wanted an eternal reality for you to live in. God loves you, folks, that much. He came down the ladder so you didn't have to climb anymore. Now, at this point, some of you are looking at your watches and you're going, all right, Easter dinner's coming. Can you wrap this up? I mean, the reality is I'm still pretty young. I don't think I'm going to be gone for very long. That's a good idea, but, you know, the reality is, hey, I think I'm good to go. And the thing is, folks, you're only one phone call away from your reality totally changing. Last year, my uncle got that phone call. They called him and they said, uh, you know, from your stroke and from some of the heart damage that you had, um, it just doesn't look very good, Mr. Gotcha. And so my parents got on a plane immediately, and they flew down to Florida. And they were with him the last couple of weeks of his life. And um, when they got there, he was not good at all. And they left one Saturday night, and he said, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. And that next morning... They got a phone call at four in the morning that he had coded. Now, my uncle had a do not resuscitate order. He didn't want that. But for some reason, it didn't get to the ER. And so the ER, their protocol was to resuscitate the person no matter what. And they did. And he actually came back to life. And they got him well enough to where he got to a regular room. And he was in this bed with his eyes open and he was communicating with everybody. And my dad kind of looked down at him at that point and said, You know, Phil, this doesn't look very good. I'm not a doctor or anything, but it doesn't look good. And my dad said, You know, I know you're agnostic. You don't really believe or you don't believe. You don't know what you believe. But are you ready to make things right with God? Are you ready to stop climbing? And he said, you know, Phil, I know you can't really communicate right now, but if you would, just blink your eyes if you can do this, and we'll know that you're ready. And he blinked his eyes. 
He said, well, I'm going to lead you through a prayer, but if it's your words and your prayer, I want you to blink your eyes again. And then he just led him through this prayer. He said, you know, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm so far from you. I'm tired of climbing up the ladder, God. I want to be in your kingdom. Would you come down the ladder for me? And my dad just kind of looked and said, if you're ready, Phil, just blink your eyes. And he blinked his eyes again. And uh, the first night I went to bed, I had no idea that he would ever even come close to God. I just got on a plane and I flew. And while I was flying, there was a song that came on from one of my favorite artists, Chris Tomlin, called I Will Rise. And the second night that I slept in his bed, after my dad kind of shared that story with me that morning, because I didn't know when I flew out, all of a sudden, within my being, within my essence, I was just like, wow, God, you are so good. I'm so grateful. And I just kind of took my ladder at that point, and I just kind of got on the side of my bed, and I laid my ladder down again, and I just said, God, thank you so much that I don't have to climb, and thank you so much that you've accepted my uncle, and he doesn't have to climb. And the question that each one of you have to ask this morning is, do I want to continue to climb, or am I willing to lay my ladder down? And Derek and the band are going to kind of lead us in a moment. And if you would humor me, uh, just get your ladder and just hold it for a second. And uh, they're going to sing this song, and I just want you to hold the ladder. And during the song, they'll actually ask you to stand up at one point. And at the end of this, we're going to have two choices, and there's only two choices, really. The one choice is you can take your ladder and you can go home today. But I'll tell you what, if you do that, that's fine. That's your choice. You can do that. I just hope that you can really climb really, really, really well because I'm not so sure that any of us could. But if you think you can, just take your ladder and you start climbing. Put it up on your post, on a, you know, on a dresser drawer and remind yourself that, you know what? I can do this. But you better not miss a ring. And when you get close, you know, maybe for a few decades, you might get to Mother Teresa, but you better just keep on climbing. Because it's a long way up to God. But if you're ready to truly say, I'm ready to lay my ladder down, we've got three crosses that are in the back. And at the end of the song, uh, when we're all done, I'll come back out. We'll close in prayer. And uh, you can decide whether you want to take your ladder or whether you're ready to lay it down. So let's listen as they lead us. There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's
Oh my 
Well, uh, hey, just two choices. Uh, you have a ladder here. And it's up to you to do what, whatever you want. If you want to take this home with you, go right ahead. I just hope that you know how to climb really, really well for a very, very long time. Or when you leave, there's three crosses that are in the back. And uh, you can just chuck that ladder. Say, God, I'm tired of climbing. I can't climb anymore. I'm just going to chuck it and leave it there. And it's really up to you. Easter is a wonderful time for us to be reminded that we can chuck our ladders. We don't have to climb and get tired. But ultimately, it's your choice. So have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. The band will play us out. And uh, whenever you're ready, have a happy Easter, guys. Thanks.